for your love and your grace. And Lord, we just ask that, again, as we go to your word, that you truly would be our teacher. And we thank you that your spirit does dwell inside of us. Lord, your spirit dwells there to comfort us, to convict us, Lord, but also to reveal truth to us as we study your word. So, Father, be our teacher. Just anoint your word, Father God, that you would be glorified. Minister to every single heart that that is here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. And again, if you need to take it home, if you don't have one at home, please take it as our gift. We would love to be able to give you a Bible. So just raise your hand. Manny will give you a Bible. If you don't have one in your hand, that means you need one. So raise your hand. Okay. If you have your Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 3 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I had, a, I had a lady come up to me last week, and she was visiting. She'd heard us on the radio, and, and she was visiting, and she said, uh, yeah, she was, I sat down, and as soon as I heard you were in numbers, I wanted to leave. So hopefully that's not you tonight. Hopefully when you hear we're in numbers, you want to stay. The good news is she said at the end of the message, she was really glad she stayed because she had no idea there was so much in the book of numbers. You know, every single book of the Bible is in there for a reason, Amen. And God's Word is living and breathing, and the book of Numbers applies to every single life in this room, as we're going to see once again tonight. So let's just talk about, real quickly, a background on the book of Numbers, just to catch you up to speed if you're here for the first time. Again, if you're here for the first time, welcome. It's good to have you here. On Wednesday nights, we go verse by verse through the Old Testament. On Sunday mornings, we're going through the New Testament, where we'll be in Acts chapter 13, the the last portion of that this coming Sunday. So if you're going to be here, I encourage you to read that. But Numbers is the fourth book of the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, and it's also called the Law of Moses, because Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, as we've talked about, when we, if those of you who are here, we saw creation, we, call, we saw sin, man's separation from God. We saw at the end of Genesis that they went into bondage in Egypt, and they spent 400 years in bondage in Egypt because of their disobedience to God. And in Exodus, we saw their deliverance from bondage, and they were delivered out of bondage. And then we saw in Leviticus the atoning work of sacrifice, man's way to God and man's walk with God. We saw how we can only come before God with a, with a sacrifice. What's the theme of, of Leviticus? Who remembers? One word. Holiness, and the the other word that we see a lot in there is what? Blood. And it is a very bloody book because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there can be no remission for sin. So we get to Leviticus and we come to the book of Numbers, and, and I think that that's not necessarily the best name for the book. As we've talked about before, every word in the Bible is inspired by God, but the names of the books are not necessarily inspired by God because this book is also called In the Wilderness by some or the Book of Murmurings by the Jews today. And I think those are both more accurate names because it's called the book of Numbers because the people are numbered two places in the book. But what it's really all about is the traveling in the wilderness of the Jews, or of Israel, after they came out of Egypt and the bondage they were in. And what happens is because of their disobedience, an 11-day journey turns into 40 years of wandering. 40 in the Bible is the number of what? Testing. You know, David and Goliath. Forty days, Goliath came down and challenged him. Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights in the days of Noah. I mean, every time you see 40 in the Bible, it's equated to a test. And the people, because of their disobedience, they had to stay in the wilderness until literally that entire generation passed away. If you'll remember that the spies went into the land and they came back and ten of them said, Oh, there's giants in the land, we can't do it. 
But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, oh, we'll conquer them. God already promised us the land. We can take care of it. Those are the only two out of that entire generation that got to enter into the land of promise. So we saw last week, and in Numbers chapter, first in Numbers chapter 1, we saw the people were numbered. And then in Numbers chapter 2 last week, we got a really clear picture of God's divine order. Those of you who are here, if you weren't here, I encourage you to get the tape, but really what a blessing and what an eye-opener. You read through it, and I mentioned last week, it's one of those chapters where you read through it and you think, okay, whatever, let me read the next chapter, right? You read through it, it's telling you that these tribes camped in this direction, and these tribes camp over in this direction, and these tribes camped together, and they pointed to the east, and these tribes camped. And when you get done looking at it, you think, all right, what, who cares? It's a camping trip. These are camping instructions. What does this got to do with my life, right? But as those of you here last week, you saw that the camping instructions were so clear, because when they camped, what they camped in was in a form of a what? A cross. As they were wandering through the wilderness, as they would camp, each night they would camp, what the Father looked down and saw from heaven was the cross, because they were camped in a cross. We also talked last week that they carried banners with them, and that each one of those banners pointed to the angelic host. The the emblems on the banners, the lion and the eagle and the ox and the man, were all pictures of what we saw in Revelation with the four living creatures, which were pictures of the angelic host. And in the center of that cross that they traveled in, what was in the center? Who remembers? The tabernacle, and that's where God's glory dwelt. So as they were wandering in the wilderness, God's glory was, what was with them. The, Holy, or the, the angels were with them, and they were encamped in the cross as they traveled through the wilderness. But the applications for us today was that they were camping in what? What were they living in? Tents. And what is this? It's a tent that we live in now, and it's temporary. And living in the center of us is God's glory and the person of the Holy Spirit. And we too may be in the wilderness of the world, but we're headed to the land of promise. Amen? And the angels are with us just like they were with them. And so, again, you look at Numbers chapter 2, you read it looks like instructions for a camping trip. And, as, and when you really dig into God's Word, you see that there's so much more there. Well, Numbers chapter 3 isn't far behind Numbers chapter 2 and looking like a bunch of instructions. You might read through it and feel the same way, but my prayer is that by the time you leave here tonight, you're going to see so clearly, not only again, is there deeper truth in God's Word, but also that it applies to every single life in this room tonight. So in Numbers chapter 3, I titled the message, Called to Serve. And as we look at at this, we're going to see God's calling on one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And it's amazing because it's the least likely tribe to be called. Because it's the tribe that was disinherited by Jacob. When he was dying, when he was laying on his deathbed, he called his sons in and he gave zero inheritance to the Levites. And the reason for that was that the Levites, that Levi had, when there was trouble with their sister Dinah, she had gone out and one of the Shechemite men had, had grabbed her and had raped her. You guys remember the story, those of you who were here, back when we were teaching through... uh, earlier books of the Bible, and we saw there that when, he was, when they grabbed her and they raped her, that she came, she came back and the word came to her brothers. Now, she's got 12 brothers of 12 tribes of Israel, right? And her 12 brothers were like, hey, we ain't having none of this, right? Now, Jacob was willing to just let it go, but Levi and Reuben especially were not going to have it. And so the man came and said, my son wants to marry your daughter that he has raped. He wants to make it all right. And they said, well, for him to marry her, then you're going to have to be circumcised, you and all of your men. 
And they agreed to it, which blows my mind, by the way. Now, I can see the guy who wants to marry her, maybe him, but all the men agreed to do this so this guy could marry her. Amazing. But they agreed to do it, and then as they were laying around sore and hurting, Reuben and Levi showed up with some swords, and what did they do? They killed them all. And when they came back, Jacob was enraged and said, you're going to bring the wrath of the entire world upon us. And Levi lost his inheritance completely. But what we're going to see tonight is we're going to see God's calling and we're going to see God's grace that God will take somebody that from the world's perspective or even man's perspective has been disqualified from ministry and God will still use them in a mighty way. Aren't you glad? Amen? Aren't you glad that no matter what you've done, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God can still do great and awesome things with you no matter how much you've blown it. Because if you ask God to forgive you, He has forgiven you of some of your sin. All of your sin, amen? And you can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back, and God has such a perfect plan for our lives, and we're going to see that tonight. We're going to see the, the high calling upon the Levites, and we're going to see how God just uses them in a mighty and a powerful way. We're going to see the general calling of the tribe of, of Levi, and then we're going to see the specific calling that he has for each of the smaller clans, and then lastly, we're going to see why it is that he calls them. Now, before we look at the text, I want to say one last thing. This is a book, or this chapter is about the organization of God's people in preparation to do God's work. God is into organization, but not the way that man is. Man wants to organize the Holy Spirit right out of the church sometimes. Amen? We want to have committees on committees, and the committees, and the thing, and the vote. And the, you know, we just vote God right out of the program, right? And that happens a lot. God is into organization, but what we're going to see here tonight as we look at the organization that God put him in when he marched them through the wilderness and the organization that he uses in calling the tribe of Levi is it's organization that is inspired by God, not voted on by men. Amen? God is in, you know, God, a lot of people think, oh, I've, been, I've heard of churches where they say, well, we don't really have a, a pastor, and what we do is we just kind of get to church on Sunday and we say, who feels led to speak? And then somebody gets, you know, and I'm like, whoa, I, Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. That's just not the way God works. Amen? God's got a plan. And God is organized. And we want to be a part of what God desires to do. He numbered the people. He gave them camping instructions. And notice, it's not based on human analyzation. It's not based on IBM or Microsoft. It's not taking the lead from the business world, but it's walking in obedience to God's command. Too many Churches today use IBM as their model. I, I got a better idea. How about we use this? Amen? Let's use the Bible. IBMs come and go. Amen? But God's Word endures forever. And so that's what we're going to see tonight, is that God gives a very clear design, a, clear, a very clear path. And when you feel like your, your life is out of order and you feel confused, don't go to your daytimer to solve it. Get on your knees and seek God's face, amen? He desires to organize and direct and lead every step of your life. And that's what he's going to do with Israel as they're marching through the wilderness. Come before the Lord. Agonize in prayer before you organize a plan. Go before God. And that's what we're going to see in the text tonight. As Moses went up, he waits upon the Lord, and God gives him clear direction as to how he wants the people to travel through the wilderness and who he wants to serve. And let's look in verse 1 and begin look, looking at called to serve. It says, Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. The word there for records could also be genealogies or, or you know, it could be history. 
But it's speaking about these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. So again, what is the origin of these instructions? These are not the divine plans of, of Moses and his ten mighty men. These are the divine plans of God spoken by God to Moses. You know what? When a plan originates with God, I think that's probably the best. What do you think? Amen? But too often, we want to, again, we want to get together. We want to get the best financial minds in the church. We want to get the, have the best business backgrounds. And then we want to get, man, I'll tell you what, let's just get on our knees and seek God's face and let Him give us some direction instead. Amen? You know, that's my heart. My heart is that we would be a church that prays, that seeks God's face. God will do great and awesome things. And the Lord spoke to Moses when he was up on Mount Sinai. Now we're going to look at his sons, the sons of Aaron. So these are the names of the sons of Aaron. Nadab, the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest whom he consecrated to minister as priest. So we know that the line of Aaron was the priestly line. And only the sons of Aaron would serve as priests. Now we're going to see tonight that God has called the Levites to serve in the tabernacle. Now, all of the priests were Levites, but not all the Levites were priests. Okay? Just understand that. A lot of times people think Levites, so they're all priests. That's not true. They were called to serve in the tabernacle, but only some could serve as priests. And only one would be high priest who could go into the Holy of Holies and make the sacrifice. Only one great high, only one high priest, because there's only one great high priest, amen? And that's Jesus Christ. And so we see here that, that he had four sons, but two of them kind of blew it, didn't they? Those of you guys who were here back in Leviticus chapter 10, you'll remember that, that Aaron and his sons were called to serve by God, to serve as the priest, and we'll see that what happened was that these guys got a little anxious, and decided to do things their own way. Look at verse 4. It says, Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. So if you guys remember, Nadab and Abihu, they've, put up the, they've erected the tabernacle. They're getting ready to be able to serve in the tabernacle to honor the Lord. And these guys go and grab strange fire. Remember that? And they went in to make sacrifice. Now, it was only supposed to be one person. It was only supposed to be fire from the altar. And it was only supposed to take place on the Day of Atonement. No other time. And instead, these guys went in together, took fire of their own. It was not the Day of Atonement. They went in to make sacrifice. And what happened to them? They got smoked. Why? Because the Day of Atonement is a picture of Jesus Christ. There are not two great high priests. There's only one. Amen? There are not two paths to heaven. Contrary to what some people might tell you, you can't get there through Mary, you can't get there through the apostles, you can't get there through, through some other man. It's only through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Only Jesus. And the fire had to be taken from the altar because the altar is a picture of what? The cross. They would shed the blood of the animal upon the altar. And as we know, the brazen altar, we talked about this, that the altar, the brazen altar itself, where most of the sacrifices took place, the grate on that altar, as we talked about, those of you who were here when we were going through Exodus, was the exact size that a man could lay down on, stretched out with his hands. And that was the altar where the fire had to come from. It had to come from the place of sacrifice, because only through the cross, only when the high priest, and through his death on the cross, could there be, our sins be forgiven. 
And so these guys went in and used their own fire, and to me, a type or a picture of our own good works. You know, I try to come before God with my good works instead of coming there by the altar or through the cross of Christ, and I'm just going to come in myself, and I can stand before Him without the cross. Well, that's true, you can, but you won't stand long. Amen? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and those who try to come before Him apart from the cross are going to be separated from him for all eternity. And so Nadab and Abihu, they were a picture of that. They come in and they try to do it on their own, and God's judgment comes quickly upon them. But Eleazar and Ithamar are now going to serve as priests. And they're going to serve, it says there, I love this part, ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. You know, Nadab and Abihu were not seeking their father's counsel and direction when they went in outside of God's will. One of the biggest things that all of us struggle with, I know that I do, we all struggle with submission. We all want to be in charge. We all want people to serve us. That's our flesh. And it says here that they serve in the presence of their father. I was counseling with somebody today and I told them, you cannot lead if you're not willing to serve. You must first serve and then God may choose to use you to lead and minister to others. But if we want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. Amen? The world determines greatness by how many people serve you. And the Bible says greatness is based on how many people you serve. And so we see here that that they were serving in the presence of their father. They were submitted to him. And God is going to use these young men in a mighty and a powerful way. Jesus Christ is God made manifest in the flesh. And yet he served according to the will of the father. If he served... None of us is too great to serve, amen? We all need to have the same servant's heart. So we see here in the beginning, Aaron and his sons were called to be priests. And I love the fact that it's Aaron and his sons were called to be priests. You know, in the world, nepotism is a bad thing, right? You know, people don't like it when, you know, got too much family in this company, man. Everybody else gets promoted, you know, all the brothers get promoted, nieces and nephews. Everybody else, I don't get promoted because I'm not family. But you know what? In the church... It's a great thing when the whole family is serving Jesus. Amen? I love to see families serving and loving God together. It blesses me. And it blesses me to see that God would call a father and his sons to serve as priests. And we're going to see here in a minute that he's going to call the entire tribe, and then he's going to call them by individual clans, and he's going to give them specific callings for their lives, just like he does to every single one of us. So look now as the Levites are going to be called to serve in the tabernacle. So Aaron and his sons. Now what what tribe was Aaron from? What tribe was Aaron from? Anybody know? He was a Levite. Okay? And Moses was then what? He'd be a Levite because he's Aaron's what? He's Aaron's brother. Okay? So Aaron is the older brother of Moses. They're Levites. That's why they're serving in that priestly mode, okay? And now we see that they're called to be the priest, but now the, the, the rest of the tribe of Levi is going to be called by God to assist Aaron and his sons. Look at verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. Again, note where the calling begins. The Lord spoke to Moses. Again, God's the one giving instruction. And he says, you call Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. So the word present there in, in Hebrew, mean, it signifies a presenting of a sacrifice or an offering to the Lord. 
They brought the tribe before him and said, we're willing to sacrifice our lives. We're willing to serve completely and to lay down our lives. Those are the people that God will use. Those who are willing to die to themselves and their will and their heart and their plans and just come before God. And that's what the tribe of Levi does here. They present themselves before Aaron and say, hey, we're here to serve. You tell us what you want. We'll do it. Whatever God wants. We're just here to serve. And they brought them before Aaron, verse 7 and 8. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. So they were to attend to the needs of the entire congregation to attend to the needs of Aaron and his sons to free them up to do ministry. These guys in my mind are almost like the first deacons. Right? They're waiting the tables they're doing the furnishings. We're going to see they take care of the coverings of the tabernacle. They carry the stuff so that the priest can serve and do what God has called them to do, which is to make the sacrifices. And so they're freeing the priest up to do the work of the ministry like we'll see in the New Testament when Stephen and Philip and the, the deacons, these guys were called to come and wait tables and minister to the orphans and the widows so that the, the apostles could dedicate themselves to God's word. You know what? If these guys are not obedient, it would be impossible for Aaron and his sons to do what God's called them to do. If we're not obedient in the calling that God's called us to do, there's going to be a big hole in our local church. You know, if if you're here and you feel like this is your family, we're so blessed to have you here. We don't have membership at Calvary Chapel. You just show up. You're a part of the family. That's how it works. If you attend church somewhere else, God bless you. We're glad you're here. We're all part of one church anyway. Amen? We're all going to heaven together. It's going to be great. But wherever you fellowship, it's important that you get plugged in and that you pray about, how does God want to use me here? Because we all have different gifts. And if we don't use the gifts God has given us, then someone else is going to be missing out. Someone else isn't going to be ministered to the way that they could be. Come to church looking to minister, not always just to be ministered to. Amen? And most of you do that. And I'm so blessed because I prayed God bring the servants first, and He certainly has done that. So service requires that we place the needs of others above our own. That we say, Lord, not my will, but thy will. Lord, I'm here to serve. And that's how the tribe of Levi comes in. And they're presented before Aaron to to basically take the load off of him so he can do what God has called him to do. Verse 9. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So the entire tribe is given to serve Aaron and his sons. We'll see how many people that is in just a minute. Verse 10. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They shall attend to their priesthood, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Now, only the high... They shouldn't have to be making this point again, but they do anyway. Nadab and Abihu was enough, I would think. Okay? But he says, anybody else who comes near... Anybody else who tries to do the work of a priest, tries to come in and make the sacrifice, anybody who attempted to do so, even if they were a Levite, if they were not one of Aaron's sons, if they attempted to go in and and intercede and do what only the high priest or the priest can do, then they would be struck down dead. And so he makes it very, very clear. Again, a picture of Christ, our great high priest, the only sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Now, why did he choose the Levites? There must be a reason. They were disinherited by their father. There's 12 tribes to choose from. Why in the world did he choose the Levites? Let's read the next three verses, then I'm going to refer you to another text, and I'll show you why. Reason 
for God's selection of the Levites. Verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. Because all the firstborn are mine, on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast, they shall be mine, I am the Lord. So, who was, at this point, who was supposed to serve in the tabernacle? The firstborn of every family. Now, why the firstborn? Go back to bondage in Egypt. What was the plague that delivered them? Who remembers? Passover, the angel of death, remember? If they had the blood on the top and the both sides of the doorpost and at the foot, the same four spots where Jesus bled from on the cross, crown of thorns, nail in his feet, nails in his hand. If they had the blood in the spot in the form of a cross, the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb with a hyssop branch, interesting, the same kind of branch that was waved, okay, or was brought to Jesus at the cross. We'll notice again that if they had that on their doorpost, then the angel of death would pass over and the firstborn child in that family was spared. But the Lord said, I've spared him, but now he's mine. I've spared the child, now he belongs to me. And you know what? Isn't that true for every single one of you sitting in this room that's been born again? Amen? He spared us. He delivered us from sin. And we belong to Him. Amen? We're His. Nothing I'd rather be than His. Amen? I'm so glad that I belong to Him. And we see here that the same thing happened, and the firstborn belonged to Him. But guess what? It didn't take long for these guys to blow it. I'm going to read something to you. I usually don't do this most of the time. I like to try to keep you in one text. But I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 32. If you want to turn over there, you can. I know I don't usually do that to you, but this is such an important part of the message. Let's look at it. I'm going to read ten verses to you here. It says, So it was, as soon as he came near the camp. Now Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. And when he's up on Mount Sinai, what what does God give him? Ten commandments, the law. Moses comes down after 40 days. Now during the 40 days that he's gone, what happens? The people go, oh, Moses is never going to come back. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had leeks and onions to eat there. We're all going to die. Right? And so then look what they do here. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, what were they doing? They were dancing naked around a golden calf. Remember that they cried out and said, Aaron, make us a God. Moses isn't coming back. We need now, this is after the Red Sea parted. This is after all the plagues in Egypt. This is after all the great and awesome things God had done. God's presence is on Mount Sinai. I mean, amazing. And they say, make us a golden calf. So he makes a golden calf, and now they're all dancing around it and having this raging party. And down comes Moses from the mountain, and that's what he sees. Look at verse 19. And he cast the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He broke, broke the tablets because they were breaking the commandments. Amen? Shall have no other God before me. They broke that one. Thou shalt serve no graven image. They broke that one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. They're breaking that one. Right? They're breaking it. They're just blowing it big time. And he comes down the mountain, he cast the tablets on the ground, and he took the calf that they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder, and he scattered the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Oh, you want to worship an idol? Here you go. There's a cup of idol, okay? Cup of soup, right? I'm going to grind it up, drink it, right? Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, 
what did this people do to you that you should brought such a great sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord be hot. You know the, the people that they have set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and this calf came out. Aaron, great assistant pastor, right? You go away for 40 days to hang out with the Lord and you come back and your assistant pastor is telling you a calf popped out of the soup when you put weak. Now look, let's read on. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestricted for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. So he stands up in the midst of this total disaster, this raging party, this, they're dancing naked, they're just dr- it's a par- drunken brawl, and he stands up and he says, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. Whoever's with God, come on over here. Now look at the rest of the verse. And all the sons of what? What does it say? All the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword in his side, and go in out of the entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men fell that day. Now, Levi was the only tribe that responded when he said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And not only did they respond in obedience, but then they had to do something very difficult. They had to unsheath the sword and go in and bring the sword against their own brothers and their own family who were caught up in this debauchery. Now the sword in the Word of God is a picture of what? God's Word. And we see here that when we've been called by God, there's going to be difficulty sometimes. We're going to have to take God's Word to our brother and to our family members, and people that we care about. And we're going to have to open up the Bible and say, well, you know what, I love you, but I love you enough to tell you that you're wrong. Jesus loves you, He died for you, but what you're caught up is in sin. And your desire and your path to heaven is not a path to heaven at all. God's Word. God's Word. And we see here that they slaughtered 3,000 that day, and it's interesting, the day that the law was given, 3,000 died, and the day that the Holy Spirit was given, 3,000 souls were added to the to the kingdom. You guys remember that in Acts chapter 2. What, you know, God's word is perfect. Everything always lines up. The law was what revealed our sin, right? Holy Spirit came to make us bold witnesses. And we see here that the law, there was death because of the sinfulness of man. And when the spirit came, the kingdom was added to. Gotta love the Bible. It fits together perfect. This is why Levi is called to serve in the tabernacle. Because the firstborn were partying. The firstborn of every family, these guys were a wreck. They were missing God. They were supposed to be serving Him, and they weren't. So God said, you know what? If you won't serve me, I'll raise somebody up who will. It reminds me where the Bible says, if we don't worship, the rocks will cry out His name. Amen? If we won't speak on His behalf, if we won't share our faith, then God will use the rocks to do it. He used a donkey to speak to Balaam. He can certainly do it without us. Amen? But the reality is it's our privilege. It's a get-to. And Levi said, hey, we're going to serve. And we see here that God honors that. This time goes by and God says, you know what? I'm calling Levi. I'm going to use everyone in the tribe of Levi. They're the only ones that would come to me when everybody else wouldn't. They responded. I love this because I believe this clearly points to the fact that not only do we need to be called, but we need to respond to God's calling. 
I've shared this with you guys before. I'll do it again. If you're born again, you're called. Amen? You're called. God didn't save you to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save you to be the biggest, fattest, best fed sheep. He saved you to use you. The Dead Sea is dead. Inlet, no outlet. You know, we'll be lukewarm, dead Christians if all we do is feed. You know, God saved us so that we can reach out and touch those around us. And so we see here that God has a plan for us. And I'm not saying called to full-time ministry necessarily, though some of you may be. But we're all called and all gifted by God when we were born again. And God is desiring that we would use those gifts. And that's what's happening with Levi. They not only are called by God, but they respond to His calling. Hey, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all of the tribe of Levi, every one of them went. God said, oh, there's a tribe I can use. God's not looking for ability, but availability. Amen? Levi was the least of all the tribes. But they said, Lord, we'll do it. You say come, we'll come. You say go, we'll go. Here I am, Lord, use me. And that's the heart of Levites. And that's why God would use them in a mighty way. Again, that's the same person God will use today. The one who's willing to respond to His call. Verse 13, again there, verse 14, excuse me. So we saw that, that He said that it was the firstborn, but no longer. Now the Levites are going to take their place. So He's given them a general calling to serve in the tabernacle. Now we're going to move through these verses fairly quickly. And now He's going to give them a more specific calling based on their clan. Different callings for each of the different clans. Verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their family. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he commanded. So they were numbered according to the word of the Lord. They were numbered by their families. One of the things I tell people all the time, and I believe this to be true, God doesn't call men... He calls families. Pastor's wives in the room are going, really? I didn't know that. I don't know if I'd signed up. But... Now here's the reality. That if God's called your husband, He's called you. Because it is a calling to be a pastor's wife. Amen? It is a calling to support him in ministry. To be 100% behind him. If God's called your husband to be the worship leader, He's called you. If God's called your husband to teach in a children's ministry class, He's called you to be supportive of that. If, if God's called your husband to come and set up the chairs early, He's calling you too to be supportive. Again, that you might have to bring the kids by yourself. Again, it's you sacrifice on behalf of the calling that's been placed upon, and it's vice versa. If God's calling your wife to be involved in something, He's calling you dads to, to come alongside them and help them. Amen? And so we see here that He calls them by families, and I like that. And he names their families. He said, I'm, I'm going to line them up by families. I'm going to number them by families. Verse 17. These are the sons of the Levi. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These are the names of the sons of Gershon by the families of Libni and Shimei, Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by the sons of Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uzel. The sons of Merar by, by Mali, Mushai. These are the families of the Levites by the father's houses. So there's three different clans. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. We're going to see that each of these clans is going to be given a specific calling. And what I love about this is when you take all their callings and you bring them together, it will be exactly what needs to happen for worship to take place, for sacrifice to take place, for the body to be able to, to worship and to do the things that are necessary. And the same is true in a local church. That God gives all of us, and the Bible says, if we're all an eye, where would be the hearing, right? If every one of us was called to do just one thing, now I'm not called to be a worship leader. 
And you guys are blessed that that's true, okay? But I'm not called. But praise God that Ken and Mike and others in our church, Bill, Pat, others who who are involved in worship, are, are involved in that. And you're called to do that, and I don't have to call them every week and say, make sure that you guys practice, you know. I don't have to do that. Because they're called and they're obedient to their calling. But there's so many other callings in this body, and when you take all of them and you bring them together, it fits perfect. And the whole body gets ministered to. And we're able to do the things that God has called us to do. Well, that's what we're going to see here as we look at these three clans, each with individual callings from God, but each one of them important, each one of them necessary for worship to take place. Verse 21. Oh, it says, And the sons of Merari by the families... Okay, in verse 21. From Gershon came the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shemites. These were the families of the Gershonites. Those who numbered according to the number of all the males from one month old and above, of those who numbered, those were 7,500. The family of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Elisaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of, the, of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent, its coverings, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the, door, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and on the altar, and their cords according to all the work relating to them. So the first clan, the Gershonites, the first son of Levi, there were 7,500 males in all from one month old and above, They were to pitch their tent west of the tabernacle, right next to the tabernacle. Now, we've talked about this before. The Levites got to pitch their tent closest to the tabernacle. Why? Because I believe it's a picture of the fact that those who are active in serving the Lord will be closest to Him. Amen? They will experience more of His glory. They will be closer to Him. And so we see here that they were able to camp right next to the tabernacle on the west side. And these were their duties. Now those of you who are here in Exodus, remember the details of the tabernacle. Remember all the layers of covering and the badger skins and the the goat's hair dyed black and all those things that that they used to cover up the tabernacle. Their job was to carry all the things around that covered up the tent of meeting. And they transported it from one place to the next, so that as soon as they got to the new place, they were there to cover it up again. Now, what I thought about this again, is that they pitched the tent, they carried it, they took it everywhere it went, but they provided covering. That's what they did. Their job was to do one thing, provide the covering. You might say, hey, I'm not called to be up front. I'm not called to go into the mission field necessarily. But you know what? You can provide the covering prayer. Amen? I'm blessed. When I, I'm telling you guys that I know that many of you were praying for me a lot when I was in India because I have never in my life been on many, many missions trips, been teaching the Bible by God's grace for a very long time. I've never experienced such power from the Holy Spirit as I did in India. And you guys were praying for me. So guess who's going to share in all that happened on that trip? Every one of you guys who prayed. Because you were providing the covering. Amen? And that's what these guys were called to do in a physical sense, but that's what we do here in the body when we pray. When we pray for one another. We provide that covering as people go out into the mission field, or people go out and they're going to be sharing their faith, or just praying for each other for a co-worker who needs to be saved, or just praying for our families. That's covering. 
And that's what this tribe was called to do. They were the ones that put the covering over the tabernacle as it moved. Let's move on. Now the Kohathites. From Kohath came the family of Amramites, the family of the Isharites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Uzelites. These are the families of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp at the south side of the tabernacle. And the leader of the fathers of the families of the Kohathites was Elizaphan, the son of Uzel. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, to, with which they ministered the screen, all the work relating to them, and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So the Kohathites, 8,600 of them, they camped on the south side of the tabernacle. They camped just as close to the tabernacle as did the Gershonites. They had a different calling, but because of their service, they were able to camp near to where God's glory dwelt. Different calling, same blessing. I believe that's true. I believe that sometimes we look at the callings that are right up front and those make, you know, oh, well, I, can, I see the worship leader and I see the pastor and I, you know, I, I see the assistant pastors, but I believe that when we get to heaven, there's going to be some little old lady that, that nobody knew her name that spent eight hours on her knees praying that's going to be at the front of the line. Amen? You know what I mean? I mean, it's going to be the people that we don't see that serve undercover that nobody sees it. But the reality is that no matter what our calling is, if we do what God has called us to do, and we do it with our whole heart, and we do it as unto the Lord, the reward in my mind is the same. Because we're just being obedient. Lord, you called me, I'll do it. And so they camp just as close. But they're in charge of all those utensils. The ark itself. What a privilege to carry the ark. What a privilege to carry the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and the things that obviously were very, very necessary for worship to take place. These guys were given a high privilege, and they were to carry it out and to be faithful. This charge was given to them, and notice that Eleazar was given oversight over these guys. Why? Because Eleazar, this tribe right here is the same tribe. These are the kinsmen of Aaron and his sons. And so Eleazar, one of the priests, had oversight over them because they were taking care of the ark. The ark went inside the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies was where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And so this was a great privilege. But you know what? It's no less of a privilege for us to go and share with people the truth about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? It's no, it's no less a privilege. You know what? We don't have to go into the Holy of Holies to sense the, the power and the glory of God because the Holy of Holies now is within us. Amen? Who lives inside of us, guys? Holy Spirit. Veil's been torn. We can enter in. What a, what a privilege. What a blessing. So the last group, verse 33 through 37. From Merari came the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari. And they were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, 6,200. And the leader of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zareel and Abihel. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. 
And the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court all around with the sockets, their pegs, and their cords. Moreover, okay, so right there we stop and we see that the Merarites, what was their job? They took care of the boards and the hardware that held the tabernacle up. These are the guys that got there first, put all the hardware down, and then the Gershonites would come and put the covering over the top of it, and then they would bring in the utensils and set them up where they belonged. And what I thought about here, just as an application for today, I thought about these are the guys who are doing the work that basically nobody sees. They're putting boards up that are going to later, many of them, be covered up by skins. But it's important that those boards are there because if they're not, the tabernacle would collapse. And sometimes we look around at the practical ministries that go on in a church and we might value them as less important. But if somebody didn't set up the chairs, you'd all be sitting on the floor. Amen? And if somebody didn't run the sound system, we wouldn't be able to put this on the radio and make tapes to share with other people. And it'd be hard. Well, I'd talk pretty loud. You'd hear me anyway. But we need the sound equipment, right? Somebody takes the time to set up the bookstore so somebody can come and there might be a book that God will use to speak to them mightily or minister to a friend or the lending library or, or working in the children's ministry. You don't even know who's in the children's ministry right now. You don't even know who's in there. And they're in there loving and ministering to our children. And again, you know, setting up boards that maybe nobody's ever going to see, but without those boards, the whole tabernacle would collapse. And without people just saying, I'm willing to serve and come early and, and make coffee that causes a few more people to hang around a little longer and start entering into some fellowship that now makes them feel welcome. And now they come back another week, and three weeks later they give their lives to the Lord because somebody was just willing to come early and make some coffee. Things that we don't think are important, they're all important because if God calls us to do it, I believe if God is calling you to come early and set up chairs, or God is calling you to make coffee, it's just as important if God calls you to go halfway around the world to India and preach the gospel. Because you're doing it in obedience to Him. Amen? Anything we do in obedience to Him is as high a calling as there is. If God says, I want, and you say, yes, Lord, that's just as great a response. And notice they all camp just as close to the holy place. Just as close to the tent of meeting. They're right next to it. Why? Because they respond in obedience to God's calling upon their lives. We're almost done. Verse 38. Moreover, those who camped before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was put to death. Moses and Aaron camped on the east side. On the east side, who remembers? Extra credit from last week. Which tribe was on the east side? Judah, very good. Judah was on the east side, and who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. And where did the high priest camp? On which side? East side. Who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. Do you think that's by chance in the Bible? Of course not. Everything in the Bible is the way it is for a reason. So the priests were camped on the east side. The high priest Aaron was camped on the east side. The tribe of Judah was on the east side. The lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, which gate is he going to enter into Jerusalem? The eastern gate. Bible rocks. Amen? It all just fits so perfect when you look at the Bible. God's plans are perfect. His ways are perfect. Verse 39. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above were 22,000. Now this number is going to be significant. Because the last thing we're going to see here 
As we're going to see a picture again of Christ as we see substitution and redemption. We're going to see substitution and redemption. Jesus Christ died in our place. And He redeemed us or bought us back from our sin. Now what should we see here in these last 10 verses? We go through them quickly. Verse 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, Number number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take a number of their names. And you shall take the Levites from me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old above of those who were numbered of them were 22,273. Now how many Levites were there? Firstborn males. 22,000. How many firstborn males of, or just Levites, excuse me, total 22,000. How many firstborn males? 22,273. So each Levite was supposed to take the place of one of the firstborn males. The Lord said, I'm not going to use the firstborn males anymore. I'm going to take the Levites in their place. So it was a one-for-one trade-off. Because it's a life for a life. It was substitutionary. I am taking your spot. I'm going in your place to serve in the tabernacle. And that's what Jesus did. He came and he died in our place. But there's a problem here. There's 22,000 Levites, and there's 22,273 firstborn males. So we've got 273 extra. So what happens? Now, according to Jewish writing, what Moses did is he took a big urn, and on 22,000, they took slips of paper. That would have taken a while. 22,000 pieces of paper, it said, Levite. And on the other ones, it said, five shekels. And so when the firstborn came by, they drew one out, and if the the Levite was to take its place, then he didn't have to pay anything. It was life for life. It was substituted in his behalf. He was no longer, his place was taken. The Levite took his place. Now, I'm not going to say he was freed from something, because I believe he lost out on something great. He could have been serving in the tabernacle, but because of his disobedience to God, because he didn't come when he said, all of you come to me, they lost out on an incredible blessing. But it was place for place, again, substitutionary, just like the work that Jesus Christ did for us. But look what has to happen for the rest of them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, again, who's speaking the Lord? Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of the livestock. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in, in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the sanctuary of 20 giras. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So what do we see here? That if there was not a life to take the place, then there had to be redemption. Somebody had to pay so they would be released. Somebody had to pay that you and I might be redeemed for our sin. 
I believe what you see here is the first 22,000, it was substitutionary, life for life. And the last 273, there was a debt that had to be paid. And I believe it's very clear to me that, that, had to, that it happened that way. One, because it provided for the daily needs of the, of the sanctuary, because it brought money that they used in the daily needs of the sanctuary. But I ultimately believe because it's a picture of what Jesus did for us. He both substituted life for life and He redeemed us. He paid the debt that you and I could not pay. It was a debt that was overwhelming. It was a debt that we could, not, we could never earn enough money. We could never pay it back. And Jesus took the spot for us. And that's what we see here. So, He substitutionally laid down His life for us. He paid the price and it cost Him everything. So in review, called to serve. God called the Levites to take the place of the firstborn of Israel. And the reason that he called them is they responded when he said, come to me. Let me ask you a question. I don't want anybody to raise your hand. Just think about it. Don't think about anybody else. Think about you. Have you responded to God's calling on your life? What is God calling you to do? And are you responding to it? Just just pray about that. I had someone ask me that today. Again, another counseling session said, I just don't know what I'm called to do. And I said, have you prayed? Remember that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. I truly believe that. I believe as we seek God's face, we spend time in His presence, we fall in love with Him, He makes His desire our desire. It's a get-to to serve. Amen? When you're called to do it, you can't wait to do it. I can't believe I get to do this. Right? It's a blessing. It's a get-to and not a have-to. Pray about what God has called you to do. And they were willing to take the Word of God, the, the sword, and bring it to those that were closest to them. Even though it hurt, it was necessary. Do you know by cutting off 3,000, they saved 3 million? Sometimes we need, you know, the analogy I thought of when I read this was, if you had a tumor in your body, would you want the doctor to cut it out? Dude, just leave me alone. I don't want you to get, you know, hey, just, you know, the doctor could say, well, I I just don't want to bother you because I knew it would be painful if I cut the tumor out. Six months later, you're laying on your deathbed. Oh, yeah, I just didn't want to bug you six months ago. I knew it would ruin your day, right? But we need to love each other enough in love to come to someone with God's word and just say, bro, I'm concerned. Uh, you know, I love you. Not, not, not going around, you know, picking the, the speck out of someone else's eye when you got a beam sticking out of yours. That's not what I'm talking about. But loving each other enough to come to somebody and share your heart with them. Hey, if you, please, I invite you. If you see me do something that distresses you, please come talk to me. Please, I, I, invite, I want you to. The last thing I want to do is stumble people. The last thing I want to do is have people, you know, hurt because of something I've done. That's not my heart at all. And they loved each other enough. That's why God called them. They were willing to unsheath the sword. They were willing to take out the equivalent of what we have today as God's word and bring it to those closest to them and say, I love you enough to share this truth with you. That's the way the body of Christ should function. Those who serve God are closest to His presence. Those who serve Him get to encamp nearest to Him. When you're serving God, the closest with God is greater than any other time. Each family has a special calling. All needed to do what God had called them to do for the the tabernacle, tabernacle to function properly. And all of us need to do what God has called us to do for our local church to function properly. Amen? 
And God bless you guys for your obedience to that. All in camp next to the tabernacle, God's glory, regardless of their calling. And then as we said, we saw Christ, a picture of Him, in the, the, the high priest, camped on the east side, lion of the tribe of Judah, the substitutionary life for a life, and the need for redemption. God has called us to serve Him. May we, like the Levites, respond in obedience and say, Yes, Lord, use me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You again that though this was written 3,500 years ago, Lord, it still applies to every single one of us in this room. Now, Lord, just as You called the Levites, you got a calling on our lives. Father, help us to respond in obedience to Your calling. And help us, Father God, as we respond, that You would equip us in the power of Your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for those who maybe have never served You, Lord, that they would just reach out, Father God, and they would just be available to it, Lord, knowing that ultimately... They're going to minister to others, but they're going to experience the greatest blessing of all as it draws them nearer to your presence as they serve you and serve others on your behalf. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We just thank you again for all you've given us. You're such a great and an awesome God. It truly is a pleasure and a get-to to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close a worship song.